All right, back again, Joe and Mike, Build Assets Online. We got another interview with with a successful student. I don't even know, honestly, what I'm saying anymore, but here we are. We got Nick. He recently did a month over 200K in one month. You know, that's uh, it's nothing to sneeze at. So we're going to be talking to Nick, and I want to learn all about how he got here, his, his journey, both uh, mental, physical spiritual we're gonna we're gonna cover all of it yeah right good to have you on man and uh so nick's been a, a member inside the build assets online community since 2021 you said you didn't start until later in that year but i guess take me through um what was going on in your life at the time and what made you want to get into it and we'll, we'll go from there well at the time um yeah i guess i'll rewind even probably a few years before that. So like I, I had started a few online businesses in the past. Um, I had one that was like semi-successful. It was a Amazon merch business. So like kind of doing print on demand, selling t-shirts on Amazon. And um, that was a fun little business for me. It was the first business that I had started that actually made any money at all. So, um, I think I got it up to around like 2,500 a month or so in profit after working on it for a few years. And um, it was cool, but it was still just like kind of side money at the time. I had a job in the uh, tech industry and um, I got it up to a certain point and I knew that it wasn't going to be something that was like going to be a, you know, full-time income for me because when you're building a business on Amazon, they can take it away at any time. And I had seen other people kind of in that community just have their account just go up in flames overnight. So everything that they'd worked for just completely gone overnight. And um, I was starting to get really nervous with like new designs that I was uploading. Um, anytime a design would kind of get stuck in processing, I'd start sweating bullets thinking like if this gets rejected, then you know i could trigger something with amazon and get my entire account closed so um i kind of just stopped with that business i still actually make a little bit of passive income on that so that's cool uh nice. but i was looking for you know something that would be you know like an actual business because i've always wanted to kind of get out of the you know nine to five corporate world and so um the next kind of business that I tried starting was a, a lead generation agency. And so that actually was like a total flop. <laughs> I spent like probably 12 months of my life, like really grinding on that and not really getting anywhere with it. So like I signed up for a really expensive course with that. Um, we got, we got a, we got a <laughs> pause here. We got a pause <laughs> here because um I don't want to take too much time because people are here for the drop shipping oh, stuff. But uh, you know, Mike and I have been in the lead gen game sort of casually for the past three, four months. Reason being, um, we saw an opportunity for it with one of our drop shipping stores. Um, we had a customer base that we thought would be really good candidates for uh lead gen. Okay. And it is a hard, hard road. Uh, even for people who are customers who trust you all that kind of thing. And yeah, we're kind of aware of all the courses out there. So tell, I guess, what, what were you doing more specifically with that? And why do you think it failed? Yeah, good question. Um, so more specifically, I was doing lead gen for like home service contractors. And mm -hmm. I didn't know really anything about that niche. When I got into it, I just was kind of looking at the numbers like, oh, well, if people are, you know, apparently paying this much for leads, and then the jobs are costing this much, then you know, it kind of makes sense, but, um, well, for one home service and contractors, people are just, they're just really difficult people to work with. They're, I mean, no offense to any contractors watching this right now, but, um, they're just not the most pleasant people to talk to or work with. And, um, by the time I think I had already gotten into that business model, it was already very saturated. And a lot of these guys had already been burned by a one or two mm. agencies before. And so there was a lot of skepticism and just a lot of like F off, you know, like I don't want to talk to you type of stuff. And um, so, well, I mean, I think Angie's list, Angie, like companies like ha Angie's list, home advisor. I mean, I'll say it right now. They're some of the worst companies. They suck. 
they suck. Yeah. And so people just have this really negative perception of buying leads in general, just because of Angie's list and some of those other ones. Um, but yeah, I tried it for myself for like, I would say nine months and didn't really get too far with it. And, um, then I kind of had this opportunity to join another agency that was being started by this guy that apparently had grown several, like seven and eight, seven and eight figure agencies kind of in that same space. And so I'm like, cool, I'm going to go join this guy's team and really learn from somebody who's really good at doing this and see what I'm doing wrong. And that actually turned out to be a total flop too. Like we couldn't really get any clients. And so, uh, he was kind of dumbfounded. Um, but it was pretty eye opening for me. And so, I had spent, you know, probably 12 months of my life kind of banging my head against the wall with that whole thing. And uh, I was still working a full-time job while all this was going on. So just doing that and a full-time job, just really grinding. And um, then I kind of eventually, that that agency that I was working for decided to close down because we just weren't really getting any traction with it. And um, after that, I just decided to take a break from hustling and like trying all these different businesses for a little while because i was just burned out and um so i I probably took like six months or so off and i knew that i was going to jump back in and and do something else i just needed a break um but during that kind of off period i came across one of your youtube videos like very randomly and it was talking about high ticket drop shipping and i think i'd actually heard a little bit about high ticket drop shipping back in maybe 2018, but, uh, it didn't really resonate with me back then. I think the guy that was pitching it just seemed like it just was kind of sketchy, just the way that he was pitching it and everything. And so I just, it it just kind of wrote it off. Like it was never really on my radar, but then I saw you guys and it just, you know, you seemed a lot more real. Um, the way you were talking about it was a lot more logical and me being kind of a, um, risk averse person. Like I have a job in the tech industry that pays really well. Uh, but I wanted to start my own business and eventually do that full time. And so it just made sense that this is something that I could probably start small and build up and not have to like quit my job right away to, you know, just jump into something really hard with no income. Uh, just not, that's just not an ideal situation for me. So this just made a lot of sense. And, um, I probably thought about it for like maybe a month and then I just jumped into the program and, you know, here we are. I have to ask. Because I want to tie this back to the dropshipping at the end. A few more details about the lead gen thing. <laughs> well, so I know there's a couple of different ways of uh, ways of doing this. You got the rank and rent model, where you're basically building websites, ranking them in Google, and then obviously you can rent out, you can sell the leads, or you can rent it for a flat fee. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have you could do stuff with the the Google My Business profiles. Um, so I got to ask, give us some detail as as to how you were generating the leads and how you were selling the leads because I do want to tie it back as you get into your dropshipping um, journey. You know, I still stand by the fact that high ticket dropshipping is the best, the easiest, and the like the quickest way to get financial freedom. And so I want to learn about some of the actual day-to-day stuff that you had to do with this agency and like like tell me about yeah, step by step. What was this agency doing? What were you trying to do? Oh man, this was a while ago. Um, but I could say that it was, it was using Facebook ads. It wasn't like a Google based thing. Okay. Um, these were like, you know, pre-qualified leads on Facebook. So like, let's say I'm working with like an HVAC company. I'm trying to target people on Facebook who need a new HVAC system. And then they're filling out a form with their contact info. And then we're contacting them like either by phone text message whatever try to get an appointment scheduled to come out and you know do an evaluation of their system and you know give them an offer for a a new air conditioning or or whatever so um i actually wasn't doing the facebook portion of it myself like the the generating the leads i had like another contractor that i was working with that was that was doing that portion of it and that's kind of like the course that I got into, that's, that's how they were doing it. Like, like we'll, we'll generate the leads for you and they're going to be really good leads. And it turns out they, they weren't good leads. Um, right. And you just need to go out and sign up clients. And so I was trying to spend the majority of my time actually signing up clients, um, which was just kind of a shit show. 
Um, I was using LinkedIn a lot. And um, then when I moved over to this other agency that I was working for, they were actually doing something that was really unique um, and kind of ironic in that they um, were doing a podcast. And so we would get contractors to come onto the podcast. We had a Facebook group that we started and um, just get them to like come onto the podcast to talk about their business and just share tips and stuff. So like trying to build this community. And then like after the podcast episode, we kind of like soft pitch them on joining the agency. Um, but it was still the same concept of like generating yeah. ads on or leads on Facebook and then pre-qualifying them and then they go out and give a bid or whatever. So well, yeah, <clears throat> I guess, uh, Let's, let's tie this back to dropshipping before people start leaving. We made a video about this. The last video we made was about how lead generation is not a great thing for beginners to do. And I think you've highlighted a bunch of those points because think about all the pieces that are going to have to fit together to in order in order to make that business work. you got to figure out Facebook ads. you got to figure out sales. And you have to work with these people who don't necessarily want to work with you. They're not like banging down your door to, exactly. to work with you versus the high ticket stuff, the high ticket dropshipping. You're just running ads for what people are when people are searching for something that they need, and then they're buying it from you. And you're capitalizing on brand demand, like the brand that already exists within the suppliers you acquire. So yeah, in, in my opinion, I mean lead generation can work, but there's all these skills you have to get good at in order to get it to work. And so you even brought up that you were making money with Amazon merch before um mm-hmm. before all that. And that's probably why you had like i guess success when you joined our program i think you started making sales relatively quickly we can talk about that but mm-hmm. we found that people that often have had a little bit of success in the past do better by the time that they start drop shipping because they've gone through the hurdles of like realizing making money online is real and yeah. pushing through a little bit of challenge and then the drop shipping stuff is kind of easier from there yeah for sure like before you've ever made money online there's like this kind of invisible wall there's like this belief that you can't actually make money online and then you start getting the payments and it becomes like actually real and you you know it's just like breaking beliefs over and over again like you can't make a thousand dollars online you can't make 5k 10k 20k and you realize Mm -hmm. that you know all that is like very much within reach yeah i recently saw uh i didn't obviously i knew elon musk was rich but apparently his net worth is like 220 million uh, billion billion mm-hmm. and like for comparison um like most billionaires they're worth like 1 or 2 billion even like the popular like you know some of the ones that are well known and it made me think man like i should have a billion like at least one if he could <laughs> if he could have 220 like a 200 times more than most billionaires but yeah, it, the point I'm making is the mentality, I think, over time starts to flip the other way. And I feel like if the money is not coming in, like I get like slightly annoyed. Yeah. What do you mean? You feel like you're annoyed in what direction? Like that you should have more money or like. No, no. Like I should like be able to go broke. No, no. It, like, like I feel like I should be able to make a million a month if I wanted to. Right. It should just happen. Like I shouldn't have to do anything. I should be able to order a few gigs on Fiverr, have a few VAs, <laughs> and it should just be all flowing to me. I'd say Elon Musk is doing something a bit differently than what you're doing and that he's actually creating a lot of uh, value in the marketplace. <laughs> I mean, as uh, as the naysayers would say, we're just middlemen in a lot of, yeah. in a lot of regards. So people keep, people are commenting stuff like, after all your guys' success, how do you manage to remain so humble? Most people would be flexing the Lambo by now. One and word, I, God. <laughs> I think the it, there's always going to be someone richer than you, unless you're Elon. So it, it's just ridiculous to like flex how much money you have. I mean, I mean, I think we do pretty good in comparison to the rest of the world, but like. I can go down the street and there's houses that are bigger than mine. There's people making more money than me, potentially. Maybe they're in a lot of debt, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's like something that you got to flex that much. But anyway, let's get back to Nick because yeah. we're going off into lead gen. We're talking about 
Elon Musk and, and Lambos. Anyway, Nick, so yeah, you joined in April of 2021. You said you didn't really do much at the time. So maybe you were kind of sitting around waiting for uh, what, what, what happened? How come you joined and you didn't get started right away? Um, I just had some other stuff going on at that time that I wanted to focus on. Um, like I had just started a new job at that time. And it was kind of like an, ex I don't know, you had some kind of like expiring offer going on with the program. And so I wanted to join uh, mm -hmm. while the price was what it was. So I just started a new job and um, I was also kind of like getting back into fitness at that time. I was pretty heavy and I wanted to like get on a weight loss program. And so I decided to kind of prioritize that first for, so that was like, you know, maybe three, four months. And then after I kind of got going at my new job and um, got going with the health and fitness stuff, I kind of jumped into the program around like October, September. And then I started running ads and actually doing stuff. Nice. So if you started in October, I think I was just going through our previous like chats and stuff. Looked like you made sales in november so do you remember how long it took you to start making sales or what that was like yeah i want to say it took around three weeks to get my first sale boom once i had things going do you feel like that was a long time or do you do you remember like how much you had to spend i don't think it was a long time i mean i was definitely like kind of had some anticipation, but I probably spent like a few hundred dollars. Okay. A pretty good sale. And one thing that's, um, I think a little bit unique about the way that you've chosen to do it, or maybe it's just how it wound up being was, I feel like you had a lot of big sales starting out and then you kind of ran with that. Was that the case? What would you say is like a big sale, I guess, trying to think. I mean, I I just remember you talking about how a lot of times you got to close people over the phone, and I, I'm yeah. again I'm looking through the chat. You had a ten thousand dollar order that uh, you're talking about canceling ten thousand dollar orders, and uh, I remember that one. I mean, like I don't know what your average order value is now, but I feel like just in general, um, like a lot of times when we talk to new students, we say, "Hey, it's really easy to sell something that's between a thousand and two thousand dollars." Yeah. I'd say your average order value was probably higher than that. It's a lot lower now. Um, the average order value is a lot lower, but the sales are also a lot more consistent. However, I do still routinely sell items um, like up to 20K. So, right. And I, so in the beginning, did you find that it was like you were a little bit more inconsistent in your sales and they were bigger sales? And then you yeah, were so so one of the things I did was um, this one product type that I was selling. And I'll just say what it is, like commercial reverse osmosis systems. I don't sell them anymore. Um, I think I posted one one uh, screenshot to you about like a 20K sale. And that's what that was. Um, I don't I don't sell that product or that, that type of product anymore um, because I just had to kind of reevaluate my business at the end of 2022. And I realized that it, it just wasn't working with that, with that product type. I think on that sale that was like 20 K, I probably made like maybe a thousand dollars in profit after everything. So that's, you know, like not, you, you'd want to be making more than that on a sale of that size generally. Um, but yeah, it was just, I guess I got like kind of a false positive with that where like early on I sold one of those and um, it was a big sale. And then I came very close a few weeks later, probably three weeks after that to getting like a 75 K sale with that same product type. And I probably spent like four hours talking to that customer over the next few weeks. And then he eventually just completely ghosted on me. And then I had that happen like a few more times. And I just remember, taking like dozens and dozens of calls for that specific product type and they would just always fizzle out. And I just kept chasing like those big sales thinking like, well, it's going to pop eventually. Um, and they just never really did like maybe like a couple of times, but I kind of reevaluated my business at the end of 2022 and just realized that I was spending 
probably 60% of my time on this one product type and it was bringing in like maybe five to 10% of my sales. And so I decided to just, to just drop that and go in a different direction. Now I do still have some pretty high ticket products that I sell, but it's like much easier. Like the people do kind of want to talk on the phone a lot of times before they buy it. Um, but it's just a much quicker sale process. There's much less people involved. Um, it's just a lot easier. Like they kind of ask like the same questions over and over again. So, um, it's something that I finally, finally handed off to a, a VA to start doing. Um, once I kind of wrote out like a cheat sheet for how to talk about this product on the phone. So, um, yeah, definitely phone sales are still a, a big part of what I do. Um, but overall my sales are a lot more consistent and smaller. And I think that's like what really finally like helped me build a foundation to really scale the business was getting some smaller sales, like on a more consistent level without people calling and being able to like build like a nice base of like recurring sales off of these products. And then, you know, maybe once a week or twice a week, you get like a, a big sale and you can kind of see that in like some of the, um, we dashboard stuff that I posted where you like see day by day, like a big spike. I mean, that's like a big sale, but like daily, like I just get like pretty consistent sales. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the problem with the reverse osmosis stuff where people weren't mm -hmm. sales cycle was so screwed up? Yeah. So I think a big part of it was just the particular brand that I was selling. Cause I know there is a lot of demand um, for that specific product type, but I only had access to that one brand and um, there's not really a lot of advertisers on Google, like on the whole for that product type. And so I was getting a lot of calls, but I think like overall their prices are just like 40% higher than mm -hmm. a lot of what else is out there. And so people would call and then they would get a quote and they, it would just, they'd run away because the price was too high. And um, also that brand I found out later, they didn't kind of have certain certifications that you're supposed to have in the water industry. And then again, I was dealing with contractors, which like no offense to the contractors, but you guys are kind of the worst, like eat up your time and then just, just go. Um, so it's, yeah, it was like a combination of things, but I mean, it was definitely a good learning experience because I, I realize now, like if you're getting on calls with customers, you, there's like a, you should be closing a pretty good percentage of those calls. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with what you're selling. Like it's either too expensive or, um you're just not talking to the right people um, or there's there's just something wrong that you need to reevaluate yeah being too expensive for like in comparison to the other product types like the same product type is something that's really important and we've tried to stress this to people we've, we've even given examples like in our own stores how sometimes we would sell tubs and you know the higher end tub that was almost double the price of like the crappy brand it wouldn't sell as easy just because people are looking at, okay, I can get a 72 inch freestanding tub for $900 or I can get it for $1,700. And that's really how people base a lot of their decision-making. Yeah. Um, so what is kind of the order size that you felt like balanced out your store more? That's, that's a tough question without saying too much, because I know there's people that know my store. Um, but I would say my average order value is around 1500. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just kind of asking, um, I mean, you answered it. Like what order size do you feel like people are more willing to just buy without talking to you yeah. or it's a much easier sale? Yeah, so um, definitely like around the $900 range, people will just buy without calling. Um, or if they do have questions, it's like a, two minute phone call. Um, and then even up to like three and 4k people will buy no problem. Sometimes they will want to talk for a little while, but like I have products in the three to 4k range people buy without calling me. And then especially around like the $900 range, people will just buy all day, no call. Mm -hmm. Um, once you start getting up to like eight, six, seven, eight K and above people want to talk on the phone. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we tell people kind of a thousand to two thousand, anything under two thousand, really, it's going to be easier to get by without talking on the phone or just people are, will make that purchase decision a lot easier. 
<clears throat> one important thing I want to ask you is um, if you were the coach and you were, you know, helping someone start a new store and it was a, a different niche than you were, you know, maybe you've never done that niche before you've seen it in action. Um, would you tell people to make all these considerations before getting started? Because I know some people are going to hear this and they're going to be in their supplier calling phase and they're going to be really thinking about an overlay, analyzing the prices of the products before they even start mm -hmm. their ads on a low budget. Um, so is there anything like you can speak to about that? Like, would you advise people stay away from certain price ranges or in retrospect, was it better that you just kind of got started and you know got the ball rolling? I think it's a good question because the price stuff, honestly, I, it wasn't like a big consideration when I started my store. I was just looking for products to sell. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I would focus more on like the actual demand versus competition and if it just seems like a good product but i think you know starting off if you if you do have a limited budget like most people do it's really i think it can be kind of difficult to build the foundation of your store on really expensive items like maybe unless you already have like another business or like just like some other form of income to where you're not relying on like one big sale every two weeks i think just it's easier to get momentum and get going with like smaller stuff like assuming the competition isn't crazy like i've even i've put ads for products that costed like 300 dollars, and the cpcs were actually higher than some of the products that costed eight thousand dollars so i mean that's something to to be aware of too you don't want to like get into something that's just way too saturated to make it to make it work with ads um but yeah i mean i would just like even right now i'm, I'm looking at some different products to add to my site and um I'm kind of leaning towards like what I think is like lower hanging fruit first. Um, so suppliers that I think like, okay, you know, it's not like ridiculously high priced. I don't see a ton of competition. This would go really nicely with my store. I think I could bundle it with some of the other stuff that I'm selling. I think that this is like, I'm trying to just like stack up wins, I guess, with my store and like what I, I always want to try to go for like the easy win first rather than like, you know, try to hit a grand slam with a, product that you know might sell like once every two months and you make a big margin on it so that's just kind of and, and again i'm kind of more of a risk averse person so i lean i lean more towards you know um you know what i think is a is a sure thing um but yeah i mean to be fair like one of my best product selling categories on my site is a pretty high ticket item and i do get it, it mostly does sell over the phone, um, but it also took me a long time to really figure out how to sell it. I had to take a lot of calls and with some of this stuff, like a lot of the information online is just not, it's not good. Like you've just got to get on calls and talk to people to really find out how to sell the products too. So, I mean, I guess my number one piece of advice would be to just start and just do something. Um, but I probably wouldn't build the foundation of your store around selling like $50,000 items unless you really have the money to try to do that yeah oftentimes because of something being more expensive typically there's more margin but because it's a higher ticket item the conversion rate is less so my point is you have to expect it's going to cost you more to sell a more expensive item compared to a cheaper item yeah and that's for a variety of factors right if you're going to make five thousand dollars on a sale if you spend a thousand dollars to make that sale, that's still wildly profitable. Uh, but when you're starting out, you don't want to spend a thousand dollars just to potentially make this sale. You want to exactly. get, you know, some feedback that what you're doing is right. And so, yeah, when I see people that are r running too many ads to products that are just super expensive, I tell them, Hey, you got to balance out your product line because it's, it's exactly like you said, if you can have that consistency with just, you know, standard high ticket items, those big sales will come in, whether that's once a week or once every other week, depending on, you know, how you're running ads, but it, it's a way better way to do business. Yeah. Just trying to land that one big knockout punch in the fight rather than just jab, jab, jab. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think also, uh, once you break through the mental barrier, you could probably take more like uh, what we like to call or what other people that we didn't coin this phrase, but like asymmetrical bets. Like mm -hmm. once you know, you can sell 20, $30,000 product online. I feel like you're more willing to, 
you know, lose money for a little bit, knowing there's a high likelihood that you're going to be able to sell it consistently. If you run these ads, you tune them in, you get the, you know, you figure. And Joe, you cut out. He just muted himself. My mic is very sensitive, so if I, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, yeah. So I think that's another important factor is as you get it, once you break the mental barrier, knowing that you can do it, um, I guess. Yeah. And another thing with like selling, you know, really high ticket items for businesses is, um, and I'm, this is something that I've been getting more into and it's actually worked is, um, having them pay through a, a equipment finance company. So like they buy this big piece of expensive piece of equipment and then they do it through the finance company. So they're paying it off over time and then they're generating income with the piece of equipment while they're paying it off. So they're making more, they're making profit while they're paying it off. And like, I don't even have to deal with the sale. Like I just get paid my, my commission on the sale. And like, I don't have to worry about it if they stop making payments or anything like that. Like it's just, yeah, it's nice, but it's not something that, you know, it's not done through Shopify. Um, I kind of, reached out to some places and was lucky to find a financial partner that was willing to work with me. And um, even like some of these big suppliers, they have their own financing companies too, but that's just, that's kind of like, I guess more advanced. That's not how I would start my store, but it's just something that kind of um, fell into my plate, like in the last probably six months or so, just because of all the other stuff that I was doing. But I mean, that could definitely uh, be an opportunity too. What Smart. percentage of those big orders do you find go through financing? Um, oh God, very few. I mean, like maybe one a month, but I just, I just got a uh, phone call yesterday from my rep at the company that um, one of them went through and I was getting a, I'm going to be getting like a 14 K commission on a sale. So cool. that's pretty sweet. When yeah. you say commission, is that different from like, margin why are you calling it commission um just commission just because i'm not the one that's taking the order like all, all i had to do was bring the person through the front door like they feel okay out. so they're not like so on my site like a phone number and a name and an email and i talked to them a little bit and then i turned them over to the supplier and said hey this person's interested there's their info call them up talk to them oh okay so you you are literally passing them over to the supplier Yep. Okay. How do you know that like your lead will be uh, tracked properly? Yeah, that's a fair, you know, that's fair. That's something that I had wondered about. Um, I kind of don't, to be honest, like I would just have to follow up with that person and see, yeah, see if they went through with it or not. But I mean, you know, you're just operating on good faith that they actually will. Um, but you no, know, I mean they've been they've been legit so far, and they they do a lot of orders, and they're they're good people. So um, yeah, it went through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have that trust relationship with the supplier now. So, and you could always, like you said, ask the customer, "Hey, did you order this product?" Yeah. So because if I'm no, okay, that is good leads. Like if I'm bringing them good leads, they're not going to want to lie because I'm going to find out eventually, and then I'm going to stop. Right. You mm -hmm. want to talk about lead gen? <laughs> this is the real lead gen right here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but one other thing I wanted to point out before I forget was we talk about the idea of pivoting. I think we coined this term in the dropship community. The idea that you're not pinned down by whatever products you start with and even whatever niche you start with. And what you said in the beginning was a really good example of that. Like you were selling this one product that you found was not working for you. You were selling a lot of higher ticket stuff. And you said, Hey, I got to reevaluate and you didn't quit. You didn't shut down the store. You just got some new suppliers. Maybe you rearranged your advertising and you rebalanced it how you wanted it to be. Yep. So I'm that's just a really that. important thing. Yeah. I mean, it never stops. Yeah. It never stops because you're, as years go by, you get more data of like, okay, if I look back at all last year, this is what I sold the most. How much, money to actually make on it how much time did it consume do i like the supplier that much and you could be constantly reevaluating and going after new suppliers and it, yeah it's not a game that necessarily ends until you 
decide to sell. So we got Matt in here. He said, Nick, my guy, you're a success brother. <laughs> you're a success brother. There's no comma there, so I don't know how to say it. So just got in here, but if you didn't already, can I ask about your two employees, how much you pay them, what you do, et cetera? Uh, I hope they're not watching. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. So I have like kind of a unique setup, I guess, with my employees. And uh, I literally just hired the second one two weeks ago. Um, but my first VA has been with me for about a year and a half, and she's awesome. Shout out to Trix. Um, so her role has kind of shifted, though, recently, too. Um, but yeah, let's talk about what they do. So, um, my first VA, she works for me part-time. So she logs in in the morning for about two hours and then one hour in the afternoon. Um, she has like, they're both in the Philippines. Um, she has another job with like another American based company. So I let her do that and she does my stuff too. Um, but she's more of like the, like admin side of things, like she pays for orders. She updates tracking. Um, she kind of goes back and forth with supplier. Like, like when are we going to get an update on this? You know, just like kind of the, the bread and butter, you know, stuff that you need to help operate the business. And then I still jump in with some of that stuff too. Like if it's an important order, then I'll kind of just take the reins on it. Um, but she really, uh, takes the lead on a lot of that type of stuff. And I just very recently like hired somebody to answer phone calls. Oh, and yeah, so she, she makes like $300 a month and that's for what, like 15 hours a week. Um, and then I gave her a pretty nice bonus at the end of the year. So I'll probably do that again this year too. Um, and then a raise, I give them a raise once a year. So, um, and again, like in the Philippines, that's, that's pretty good money. I know people are like, what the hell? But I mean, that's, this is like literally it's a part-time job and it's in the Philippines where people make like $180 a month for full-time in a call center. So, you know, 300 a month for 15 hours a week and then bonuses is, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty solid for them. And, um, like I said, I give like raises and bonuses and stuff too. Um, and then my second employee that I literally just hired a few weeks ago, um, she handles calls from nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, so I've been spending time like getting her trained up over the last few weeks. I finally stopped answering, you know, phone calls, at least during those hours, a majority of calls, I still get on calls and still take calls on the weekends and, uh, you know, kind of up until like 6 PM on weekdays. So, um, she's doing that. And then she's also kind of jumping in and, um, handling kind of, uh, customer inquiries while my other VA is <clears throat> working. Cause like I said, my first one works from nine to 11 and then four to five. So we've got like that space in between where people send us messages and stuff. And so she's kind of filling in that gap too. Um, and so I'm just, I've been really busy the last few weeks just with a lot of different things. And so I'm going to have my second VA doing, doing more, more than just answering calls and kind of filling in with, uh, answering chats. Like I, I have other things planned for her to do. Like I would really like for her to kind of start doing content as well. Actually this week she has been, um, doing some of that. I, we're, uh, working on adding some FAQs to a lot of our top products. And so I've just like compiled a bunch of stuff for her to like write the FAQs. And I'm going to be reviewing that probably later today. So it's stuff like along those lines of like written stuff, like content for the website. Um, she's going to be doing more of that. Um, but then, yeah, she answers phone calls. We use open phone, which I think is really great. I think it's a big step up from, grasshopper um because number one it records all the calls and it does like ai transcriptions of every call and so it's easy for me to just open up my open phone desktop or mobile app and if there's a call that i need to know about i can just quickly go in there read the ai transcription and know exactly what the call was about and then if i need to call the customer back like i can just call them and say hey it's so-and-so from so-and-so and um yeah i see that you were talking to my assistant about xyz how can i help uh so that's that's really helpful um we also like with some of the higher ticket stuff um we manage leads in trello so i have like a trello board that's kind of set up like um 
you know, you have different columns for, um, what, what does it say? I'm like blanking out, but uh, like needs follow-up, that's like the first column. And then I have another column for invoice sent. And then I have some other columns that are less important, like ordered or needs help or whatever, but we really just work through the needs follow-up and the invoice sent columns. And so like um, if we get an important lead, either like on the phone, chat or email, we create a card in Trello for needs follow-up um, and then we'll put their name and the name of the product on the card. And then you go into the card and then open phone is really cool too, because you can just copy a link, like a web URL link to the phone call. And we'll just paste that in the card. Mm-hmm. So I just, mm-hmm. if I need to follow up on a lead, I just click on the, the card and then I go in, I just click on the link to the phone call. I can see the entire phone and chat history with the person. Um, also if there was like an email thread or inbox chat like it just paste it all in that card so it's just really easy to keep up with leads and so i kind of went off on a tangent but i have her managing those leads so like not only does she take the calls and talk to people like i have her put when appropriate i have her put leads um kind of where they're supposed to go so that it's easy to follow up with people um but i'm also going to try to just have her doing other stuff too like calling people for reviews because i think that's a really big thing that uh, a lot of drop shippers don't do that they should be doing um the getting reviews i think is really big and i found from my own personal experience when you actually call people on the phone they'll write you a much better review than if you just kind of send them a generic review request um and i think that stuff really helps too i'm gonna have her kind of start calling people for reviews as well where are you putting the reviews are you doing them to like a google my business are you doing like trust pilot like where are you Oh, it's just like, it's judge.me. That's what we use. Um, Like when I call them, it's really, I'll just call them and say like, Hey, it's so-and-so from so-and-so. And, and, um, you know, just delivered this product for you a few days ago or whatever. And just wanted to give you a call to see how it's working out. And then you just kind of pause and let them tell you about it. And then if they say they like it, then I'll just be like, okay, well, really glad that you're liking it. And, um, you know, would you mind taking a couple minutes to, just write us a quick review and you can even like, I'll even incentivize people if I feel like I, I should, um, with like either store credit, Amazon gift card, or even a bigger Amazon gift card. If they include a, a picture with their review, um, nice. so then I just kind of get them to verbally agree to do the review. And then I send them an email with the, the link. So like with judge.me, you can actually just send them a link to the, the page where they bought the product and then just show them like I just provide instructions on you just got to scroll down you got to go to the writer review use the same email that you placed your purchase with and then we're going to get a confirmation that you sent the review and we'll send you send you your gift card and so that that works um I only do it for like the higher ticket items though because it's just a pain to like really do it for you know a $200 product or something like that um but that it definitely works. Nick Smart. dropping jewels right now. It went through Smart. his whole friggin' CRM right now. So people yeah. are watching this that have and stores. And another thing with the reviews, with the reviews thing is like actually respond to the reviews too. Like believe believe a review and then actually just like take time to go in and respond to it. So I mean, once you've got a product with like ten reviews and like you've got some user pictures on there and like you've responded to every single one it just it looks a lot better and like i've even had people comment on like they they told me that they bought because they they read the reviews and they 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 said that you know you know one thing that you want to emphasize in your reviews um if you have the chance to talk to somebody is like don't don't just talk about the product try to get them to talk about your service too about how you are very attentive and like you shipped it out and like you communicated with them the whole way because people are definitely thinking about that stuff when they're considering who to buy from um like when you just go to a page with a product on it like a lot of people even now i mean especially now um they're not sure if you're a scam or not so i mean any of that stuff really helps build assurance like i'm even kind of starting to think that like it's less about like having good copy on your site and more about communicating to people that you're not a scam right right yeah because copy anybody can write it anybody can write anything so that's the whole idea right how do you convince somebody that you're the better option compared yeah to yeah oh and to answer matt's yeah, second yeah. question so i pay my my phone employee 800 dollars a month um 
but like yeah. I said, again, I'm going to have her do, do more stuff. Like once we kind of get going, um, I created Is like she a, in the Philippines. Huh? Yeah. They're both she in the Philippines. Yeah. They're both in the Philippines. And so I just hired my second, my phone employee, which I just put off forever because, you know, we kind of touched on it. Like some of these products that I sell, um, they're just, they do require talking over the phone and you got to be pretty knowledgeable. Um, and so, you know, for a while, I just kind of had this mindset that like, I'm not going to find somebody else that can actually do this. You know, it's just going to be too difficult. And so I felt like it's kind of trapped, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. if I want to keep making money, I've got to keep taking these calls. But, um, you know, one thing Alex Hormozzi says that I really like is, um, pulling out the book, oh. like, <laughs> uh, like leveling up in business is about like breaking old beliefs and replacing them with new ones. And so I kind of just had to get over that belief that like, I'm not going to be able to hire somebody on the phone. Um, I mean, I talked to a uh, Granger in the group before I hired someone too. Um, and I don't know, he obviously has a really big store and like his POV is like, people just want to talk to somebody on the other end of the line. Um, you know, and so one of the big things with like with me with uh, I think I, I interviewed five people for the position and um, I picked the one that I just felt like Kat was kind of like, you know, friendly and she didn't have too much of an accent and just kind of she just had like a nice vibe. And so I figure like I try to hire for the intangibles because I can teach you the products, um, but I can't teach somebody how to have a friendly vibe. Um, mm -hmm. So. I put together like a pretty good training program um, with like cheat sheets and like loom videos of like just going through like, you know, here's like the top 10 things that you need to know about this product. Um, I mean, not, not quite like in that format, but just cheat sheets for like the top products. And then also kind of like overall, just here's just like the overall philosophy on how I want you to approach this job. And like, if this happens then do this, and if this happens, then, you know, you just try to like create these like conditional flows for, you know, if this, then, then do that. And then obviously, of course, if you can't figure it out, then just contact me. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, anyways, we spent the first week kind of just like talking, like I didn't, for the first week that I hired her, um, I just like, for week number one, I just want you to spend your eight hours a day just going through the website and just reading everything and just kind of like immersing yourself in all the products and just like kind of reading emails and chats and everything. Like, I'm not just going to throw you straight in. Like, I want you to just kind of just soak it all in. And then second week, we're going to start on phones and I'm going to be, you know, kind of listening to your calls and giving feedback and everything. And that's pretty much how we've been doing it. And so she's got the cheat sheets. She's got, you know, the feedback and, you know, that's just kind of how I've chosen to approach it. And I mean, I think it's working pretty well so far. Um, I'm always available to like call people back to like, if they get on the phone with a really big client, I just tell her like, look, just, just tell them that you're the assistant and that the boss is going to call you in a little bit. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, there you it, go. she kind of helps. Segway helps build status because then they kind of feel like they're talking exactly. to a big dude. So, um, it makes them even that much more likely to buy, which is something that I didn't realize until I hired an assistant. It's like, they give you that much higher level of respect when they realize that they're talking to the boss. They're not just talking to like some person. So, um, I mean, right. I definitely think it's the way forward. Like if you really want to grow a big drop shipping store, you've got to outsource your phone calls at some point. It's just, it's just, it is what it is. I think it's it's the biggest hurdle to get over to get from, you know, the the low hundred thousands to the mid six figures. And even Matt's talking about it here. He says, I feel the same way. I have some serious resistance to letting go of the sales and technical questions as I've been doing it for two years. And um, even when we interviewed this guy, Braden, who bought our um, one of our old stores, he was doing the same thing. He was just doing kind of big sales and it's easy to get caught up in that because you feel like you can do the best job and you're probably right. You can do the best job, but if you can get somebody up to 70% competency, yep. then yeah. it frees up so many hours of your time that you can use to, you know, screw the 70%. Like I'm going to get double my traffic. I'm going to double my sales. Yeah. And I, I don't need to be closing a hundred percent. I have some strong opinions on this now after doing it 
after taking thousands of phone calls too, which I think hopefully can be helpful to people listening. I mean, they are just my opinions, but um, one of the things I have realized, and it took me an embarrassingly, embarrassingly long time to realize was like a lot of the times the people that ask the most questions and like want to get the most in the weeds with just everything with the product are the ones that are least likely to buy. Um, I felt like I had to know everything and like I had to be able to like perfectly answer every question. Um, but I've just been on so many calls with people that took like over an hour of my time that just disappeared, like even after I gave them a discount and everything. And then you get on the phone with people who just want to ask like two or three questions for a big product. And like, okay, I'm ready. Let's, let's do it. Um, and so I think I'm trying to focus now more on just, you know, more content and just kind of generating more leads to get more of those people rather than trying to chase down people that want to take two hours of my time and then disappear. So, um, and yeah, maybe you get attached to that because it's like, you were so close to getting the sale and you put in that effort versus, you know, if you're not involved in either of those calls, the easy one or the hard one, you're not really giving a shit. Yeah. And you could, you could just focus on, okay, how many leads did we get in today, this week? Are they progressing as they need to progress? And you can look yeah. at these actual overarching numbers and create improvement like that. So, and another thing totally with the agree. VA too, another thing with the VA is like, I just tell her like, look, if you don't know the answer, just be honest and tell them that you don't know, tell them that you're the assistant, tell them that you're new and that your boss is the one who knows the answers to these questions and that he's going to give you a call back. And like, they can't really be too mad at that. And then when I do call back, I just explain like, yeah, we get a ton of phone calls and I don't have time to be on all of them. And so that's why she's the one who answered the phone. And that's like, if it ever even gets to that point, I feel like most people are like I create problems in my head, but most people in reality are a lot more easygoing and they're not going to get offended if you don't know the answer to something. There's only been like maybe a few instances where I didn't know the answer and somebody got offended and you realize now, you know, just kind of fuck those people. They're whatever anyway. So, um, you know, as long as you're trying to, to help them and you're just being upfront about what you know and what you don't know, then, you know, people will respond well to that. Oh, since you since you brought up Braden, one thing I want to add is, um, you know, he even though he answered all the phones when we sold him the store, he had a very very specific strategy of of flipping it. I think so. That is something worth mentioning. Oh, oh, of him flipping the, the website. Yeah, yeah. So since well, you are going to be the best one at closing sales on the phone, if you are doing right. the strategy where you want to flip the the store, I feel like there's nothing nothing wrong with that either you know if you right if you want to ride it out and really close 100 percent of those sales for a year and then reflip it that's that's one way to approach it but actually he was doing kind of what nick is doing where he had i think his assistant answer a lot of the the calls up front and then if it was like a good sale it gets passed to the big dog right yeah he yeah, and i he, think he, there's a lot of merit to this big dog method because yeah. it's yeah it creates that dynamic in the the customer's psychology that hey I'm on with the big dog, you know, customers, sometimes they burst in the door. They think that they're hot shit yep. <laughs> and they feel like they can, you know, behave a certain way. But when they know the, yeah, that when they know that they're dealing with the big dog, they might, uh, yeah, more likely to be persuaded. So I guess let's, uh, breeze through any final questions we may have. We're at 53 minutes right now. King Cooper says, did you get a lot of B2B orders? Um, do I get a lot of B2B orders? Yes. It's a mix of B2B <laughs> and B2C. Yeah. I want to answer this question. Martin said, considering my tight budget, should I advertise for my five suppliers with good margins, but no map enforcement risking potential under undercutting or would it be more lucrative to, to focus on suppliers enforcing map. I think you guys spoke on this before, but just wondering if a non-map supplier is even worth advertising. Or is it too much of a risk for somebody who's trying to be smart with their advertising money? So, Nick, um, how many non-map suppliers do you deal with? Dude, honestly, like zero. Um, so I do have one supplier. Gosh, I hope they're not watching. They're, they're not watching. Um, but um, they don't enforce map, and I brought it to their attention like three different times, and they were just kind of like, "Well, we'll we'll see what we can do about it." So, like, nothing. And so I didn't price myself lower than everyone else. And so that was just one, one product. 
um, and right. that was like a year ago and nothing happened. So but they claim that they have map, but they actually aren't even enforcing it. Right. But then for everything else I do, uh, I do operate with map and I, I, God, I don't know if I would do a store that didn't really respect, um, map. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't have any real experience with it, so I can't say, um, but that's another thing that I want to have my second VA doing, um, maybe like once every few weeks, just going through like certain products that we sell just to make sure that people are, uh, respecting other sellers or respecting map. Cause I have called other, um, sellers out or I've called them out to my supplier. Like, Hey, I take a screenshot and show them like, look at what they're doing. And they've actually said, thanks for showing us. Um, so like, I'll, I'll call that stuff out if I see it, but if, if, if it's something that's like happening over and over again and they don't care, then I'll just go ahead and do whatever anyone else is doing. Right. Right. So, I mean, I read this initially as like these suppliers don't have map. I think it's unlikely to have five suppliers that have map, but don't enforce it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's rare that a supplier has map and doesn't actually like deal with it. So, yeah, I mean, you say you have good margin, but no map. When those two terms are contradictory, right? Because <laughs> you don't know what your margin is if you don't know what you're actually going to sell at. And that's the whole reason map is so good is you know what your margin is. Nobody can undercut you. And so when you're running ads, that that margin is fixed. You know, okay, I can run, I can spend $300, make one sale. I'm gonna make 600 if I get the sale and the math works out. Yeah, he said they don't have map. So like, yeah, just get some map suppliers. It shouldn't matter what industry you're in unless you're selling like industrial equipment. In that case, like find something else. But really every industry has suppliers that have map regardless or besides like super old industrial type industries. So I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Hyphen said, Nick, did you have to revisit any sections of the course or did you find it easy to absorb the information and immediately execute? Uh, good question. Yeah. I mean, I think it took me a while to really get down the, uh, the bid management stuff. And I think I had to revisit it a few times or like maybe not revisit in the course, but kind of get on calls with you, Mike, and talk about some stuff that I was doing. And yeah, I mean, I still don't think I'm like a master at it, um, but I'm, I'm pretty okay, I, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, like managing bids in Google is not like a skill that you're gonna pick up overnight. It takes time to really get good. And not only that, it's like an art form too. It's not just like, I mean, in my opinion, it's kind of an art form, it's not just looking at like the data and Google ads, because I feel like that can be misleading. I think a lot of my conversions don't really get tracked in Google ads too, especially when it's like a longer sales cycle. If you're talking to somebody on the phone, like it's not going to show every conversion in, in Google ads. And so, um, it's really like once you have just been doing it for a while and you know what sells in your store and like how much you're kind of overall spending on ads, like that's really my philosophy. I do, I do look at, Google ads to, to see the numbers, but I also, I'm just very aware of like what's selling in my store and how much I'm spending overall. And like, kind of just like, what's my overall profit. And, um, I do one thing, I guess that helps me is I do use the bid simulator. I know I've talked with Mike about that. Um, but like I'll do, I do use the bid simulator kind of like on the product group or the product level to kind of adjust things as I go. Perfect. So is there value in incentivizing customers to go back and leave good reviews? Hell yeah. I mean, of course, look at Amazon. I think Amazon pioneered the customer review, like having that be a prominent thing. I think uh, Jeff Bezos said that. But yeah, of course, customers are going to go on your site. They want to see the reviews of the products. They want to see the reviews of people talking about interacting with your store. And um, yeah. yeah I want to know you're not a scam too. Right. And plus you can get the reviews to display in the Google shopping ads um, within the Google Merchant Center. Like once you get more than 50 verified reviews, you can submit it to Google Merchant Center and then your uh, like star reviews will start showing up in Google shopping and you're gonna, people are gonna click on your ad more than they're gonna click on the one with no reviews. Absolutely. I don't think we, we do that currently, do we? Cause I've been, 
I've been saying that. I've been saying that because it also pulls it for the organic results, I believe. Like in the uh in so which it shows up in our organic results. No, I'm saying that it doesn't because oh. I think we didn't pull that through in Merchant Center. And um like if you look under like if if a collection page comes up organically, all of our competition will have um the stars. So it'll be like stars, like the shipping time. And then the like returns, but we don't have the reviews, so I don't know if it's because it's not verified in Merchant Center. Shit, we're flopping. <laughs> I'm just, and I think it honestly affects. Uh, yeah, I think we definitely got to turn that on because I think I mean definitely will impact rankings as well because if if they're searching for a collection and then the ones with those nice stars are getting a higher C <laughs> CTR. Um, you know, it's right. gonna it's gonna impact it. I, yeah, I, have, I have products that are ranked pretty high in um, organic search that have a lot of ratings and reviews. So I don't know if that's why, but I don't have any backlinks really. Um, that's something I definitely want to focus on more this year. Actually, getting backlinks. Um, mm. but that's probably at the very top of Google. That like, just they've just got a lot of sales and reviews, and that's it. Yeah, honestly, you're probably right about that because I've been trying to like figure out, you know, really a reliable strategy for increasing the rankings of like products and collections. And I feel like, I don't know if Google like invalidates backlinks for that stuff, but I feel like they must like, if, if you have like 10 people selling the same product, you know, one of them has a bunch of backlinks, which Google like they they have to use them, but they don't really want to use them. But then you have verified reviews coming in. I feel like they might consider that as a factor above all that other stuff. So I think um, you're definitely onto something with that. Mm -hmm. You've set Joe off. He's going to be on a mission. If you've got the verified reviews. Well, yeah, I mean, there's not much I can do until, uh, until our ad guy sinks the verified reviews. Who's that? I don't know. I guess he's on he's on vacation. He hasn't done it yet. <laughs> All right. Last question. Only because it's Matt. <laughs> he said, what's your ad spend looking like, Nick? Organic traffic, any part of the increase in sales? Yeah, I mean, organic traffic's definitely part of an in the increase in sales, but uh, the ad spend is it was a lot. I mean, this last month, I want to say it was between Google and Bing, it was like at least 12K. Um, I spend way more on Google than Bing. Something broke on Bing, like my funnel. Like, I don't know what happened, but it kind of broke. And so I'm advertising less on Bing. I heard that they don't support that same kind of waterfall strategy that they support on Google anymore. Like everything was working great. And then I just started getting a bunch of crap keywords showing up into my branded uh, shopping campaigns and Bing. So I turned, I turned a lot of them off. So I, I only spend maybe a thousand dollars a month on Bing right now until I can figure out what's going on with that. And then yeah. that's why we tell people don't use Bing because <laughs> they just do this shit. Bing search ads though, are pretty, they're pretty okay. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I like search ads a lot personally on both Google and Bing, but um, you like search ads. Oh yeah. Search ads are amazing. Um, it really depends though, like on the product. That's what I've, what I've learned is like for some, for some of my products, search ads work way better than shopping ads. And for other products, it's vice versa. Like for other products, it's just, search ads aren't even viable. Like you just can't, they're not profitable. But for some of my products, like uh, I just get way more, I'm able to get way more clicks for the search ads than I can for shopping. And they cost even less for whatever reason. Like I've seen, I've mm. seen it over and over again, like shop search ads being, cheaper than than shopping ads um and then i'm able to get more clicks too so i i definitely think it's worth doing or at least worth trying you're going to find out pretty quickly with the search ads if it'll be viable or not um but yeah i mean i'm spending around close to like 400 a day on ads right now i think nice i mean i thought you were going to say something crazy 12k to make 200k back yeah there's nothing to sneeze at that's it's over like 15 return on ad spend. So, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I love, I love search ads as well, 
But yeah, it's just the problem with Bing is yeah, you can't rely on it the same way that you can rely on Google because like you said, they change something one day, they break the the segmentation, and you're not the first person I've heard dealing with that. I gotta check my Bing ads now and see if they did that to me. But like I said, I don't spend that much money on it, so I don't really care. So it's like you have to get to that level with it that you're not really going to sit there and try and get super granular with the performance and go crazy on it. But yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll cap it off there. I mean, I think this was, yeah, I think you really, uh, you really dropped some gems. Oh, thanks. Dropping gems, dropping bombs. My pleasure. Like helping people out and definitely get value from this type of stuff myself. I didn't know you were involved in the community like that, Nick. We got Matt coming in here. You said you're talking with Granger. I'm so in the DMs. What's that? I'm in the DMs. Yeah, you're moving in silence. Yeah. And that's why we wanted to get you on here because a lot of people, you know, they join the, the group and they're all excited to get started. And it's like the really successful people are kind of the ones that keep to themselves more because it's like at a certain point, you don't need to talk to us. You don't need to talk about like posting your results every day. You're just doing your thing. So yeah. I probably would like to talk to you guys though. It's been a while. It's been okay. <laughs> I have questions, but yeah, I mean, we're here for answers, but uh, yeah, I'm cool. glad we finally got you to uh, come on. And I think people are going to find it really valuable. And is there any uh, last words you want to say place where people can get that Diablo shirt or what? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's seller door dot shop, like C E L L A R door D O R R dot shop i think um shout out to sam if you're watching um but yeah just check that out or um i would plug my site but no thank you uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean just just keep going like if it's something that you enjoy just keep going with it man like when you treat business like a video game it's hard it's impossible to lose like just keep hey. playing and just have fun with it and don't <laughs> it's too personal you know don't get your ego involved and you know just keep going with it i mean the old everquest games you'd spend all this time creating your character right and then you uh you die and you lose all your items well you'd have to get it back well diablo 2 hardcore was like that right Right, yeah that was that yeah you'd lose all your shit if you die more of like a mario guy i just like to respawn and start (laughs) (laughs) well this is more like mario because you screw up you just respawn you just try it again the next day as long as you're not betting your uh you know your whole bank account on on your ads you just keep you keep at it every day and you make little improvements and you'll get to where you want to go so i think we'll leave it at that People go to buildassetsonline.com if they want to learn more about working with us or what we do. But it's been a pleasure, Nick. I think people are really going to like this. Yeah, good work, uh, man. Yeah, right on. Thanks, guys. It's fun. Until next time, everyone. Take it easy. Take it easy.